0: This is Christine Maxfield, and you're listening to When in Rome from Compass Magazine. My next guest is a kindred spirit of mine, mainly in the way that she likes to travel, but also because of her magazine journalism background. Abby Kozolczyk is the beauty and travel editor of Every Day with Rachel Ray, but I was dying to chat with her at Hostelling International in New York because she's been published six times in the Traveler's Tells best women's travel writing book series. That seriously has to be a record. So listen to her inspiring tales from abroad, because the way that Abby describes her travels is like poetry. For buddies, we've hung out, but we haven't really gone in depth about your cool travels, which I know you've done a lot. I know this because you have been published in the best women's travel writing. There's got to be a record for this. 2007, 2008, 2009, 2011, 2012, and
1: 2013. That's huge.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And
1: I'm equally excited to be sitting here with you. Yeah, I think that particular anthology feels like therapy to me. Yeah. Yeah. It lets me write the kinds of pieces that I never get to write Mm -hmm. in my magazine career that's right and that's probably why I, I'm so prolific in that series <laughs> like, yeah
0: well so tell me do you have a favorite
1: story that's been published in the series but they're all my favorite stories I mean they're the least marketable mm-hmm. stories I mean least marketable from a glossy magazine sure. standpoint sure but they are all of these just little treasured moments in my travels, and so no, I I don't think I could... You can't, they're They're all your babies. They're all my babies, Sure. yeah, and generally they're about people being remarkably kind and lovely. I think, in the end, an iteration of that idea, yeah, and... Am I generally doing something kind of idiotic? (laughs) There
0: were a lot of pieces of your stories that really resonated with me. For instance, how you always have to check in with your family wherever you are. Yeah. That is completely my family, which is adorable, but...
1: Thanks. (laughs) I have sort of the the consummate overprotective father in that he's a Latin Jew, Mm -hmm. so you just can't win as a daughter (laughs) who's a traveler, and it's not that my mom isn't hyper-protective as well, but really my father is the one who demands the constant check-ins. Mm-hmm. So ever since I've been traveling on my own, and I, I guess it's been a few years now, many years, if I don't let them know that I've arrived safely, people will be out looking for me. And <laughs> even if it's extremely difficult to check in, you know, if there's no cell phone signal, if there's no email access, I'd better find a way to let them know I'm alive, even by carrier or- pigeon. <laughs> yes, exactly. So <laughs> better signal, do. It. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So tell me about the story that was published about
0: how you bought a guidebook in order to go to South America and there were four countries just wiped off the map.
1: Yeah. Which is remarkable. It um, yeah, it was long time ago that I was planning my first ever trip to South America, and I wanted just an overview of the continent before I started planning on a detailed level. So I picked up one of the big boys, (laughs) and presumably a guide to the entire continent, and I turned to the map page, and four countries were left Mm -hmm. off the map. Well though technically one isn't a country, French Guiana is an overseas department of France. Mm-hmm. So it was the Suriname, Guyana, French Guiana and Paraguay that were just gray <laughs> spaces instead of named wow. locations on the map and I really couldn't believe it and so I picked up another copy of the same guidebook to make sure that there hadn't been something wrong with the first (laughs) and sure enough the other copy also left those countries off the map so for whatever crazy reason I decided in that moment that I would make it my mission to get to those places and to find Incredibly cool things about those places, and write about said things, uh, yeah. just because they'd been left off. The that map. was your quest, yeah. That was my, yeah, <laughs> that was my quest. And though the quest took probably about a decade mm-hmm. to complete, French Guiana in particular proved really tricky, very expensive, extremely expensive, <sighs> and it's actually easier in a way to fly from the U.S. to Paris and from Paris back to. Cayenne than it is to stay on the side of the Atlantic. I found a little workaround after a long time, but there were times when I actually contemplated flying to France wow. only to fly back to the Caribbean, basically. So yeah, that was the hardest one to get to, but well worth it in the end, uh-huh. and I did find really amazing things in, in each place. Beautiful um,
0: locations, right?
1: Gorgeous, yeah, gorgeous, all of them, and more than that, really culturally interesting. Uh-huh. The favorite moment in French Guiana was in this little town in the rainforest called Cacao, that was populated by Laotians who had been resettled by the French government oh, wow. decades earlier, and I'd heard about it, and it just sounded so improbable, yeah, but. Sure enough, you go and eat exactly the same food you would eat. Maybe slightly altered if an ingredient or two isn't available, but exactly what you would eat in Laos. Interesting. You you eat in French Guiana (laughs) in the middle of the jungle, and it's the Sunday afternoon outing for people of all different backgrounds. So all of the French expatriates who live there go on Sundays. The Amerindian descendants go. Mm. The slave descendants go. Everybody goes to this market and eats the same southeast asian food together around these tables communal <sighs> tables and just the improbability of it is so great yeah
0: um, where was the most naturally beautiful would you say
1: or are they all
0: a little bit different
1: they yeah they all are naturally well endowed places uh-huh. kaiter falls in guiana is Off-the-charts gorgeous, though, it's just this massive roaring waterfall with nothing but jungle around, and you can stupidly go right up to the edge of the falls. There's nothing there to stop you, and there's a huge drop-off into this gorge, you know, if the falls were in the US they'd be roped off 20 times over but there there's just nothing stopping you it's an amazing experience and that's what you write about there was just like one little sign warning people yeah (laughs) that goes completely ignored there are no physical impediments just just a little sign yeah yeah what was it like visiting such off the beaten path
0: locations then
1: It was really fascinating. People often, especially in Paraguay, people kind of wanted to know, not in a hostile way, but just out of sheer curiosity, what the hell you were doing there. Yeah. It was (laughs) like, this is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. People were so unaccustomed to Americans turning up. Americans who who weren't part of an NGO, or or part of some business enterprise. Mm -hmm. But an an American tourist, (laughs) is just all but unheard of there. They didn't know um, where to place you. <laughs> and yeah, and so there was a lot of confusion. Yeah. I think that travelers would find a lot to like there. It was beautiful architecture in Ascension sort of Frozen in time, all of this belle époque architecture. Mm-hmm. Not exactly frozen in time though, because the modern occupants of these old buildings are all sort of CD bootleggers. And, yeah. uh, and But it's beautiful. The thing I loved most about Paraguay that I write about is actually the language, the indigenous language that's spoken there, Guarani. And it's the only place I have experienced in Latin America where the indigenous language is spoken as widely as Spanish and mm. by people of all ethnicities. So European-descended Paraguayans, and, and for that matter Asian-descended Paraguayans, yeah. speak Guarani almost interchangeably with Spanish, depending on where you are in the country. And It's a gorgeous language, but the idea that people of all ethnicities speak it proudly yeah. I think is the most beautiful thing about the language, because typically Spanish dominates.
0: You said it was almost sing-songy.
1: Yeah, It's and if you like language at all, and probably a lot of travelers do, mm-hmm. it's a treat to hear. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't understand a single word of it, and I pretty much didn't. <laughs> you pick up a little here and there, but the sounds are really musical. Yeah. And breathy. So it's just really pretty to listen to.
0: Nice. Do you yeah. enjoy solo travel? Yeah, I do. Me too. Yeah, we have that in common,
1: definitely. Yeah. What is it about solo travel that appeals to you? I think you become much more approachable to people mm-hmm. when you're by yourself. There's absolutely nothing intimidating about a woman traveling on her own. Yeah. Whereas if you're traveling as a couple or a pack yeah. of, of friends, which isn't to say I don't love traveling with a significant other or with friends or my family, I, I love that too, mm-hmm. but your interactions with locals change completely. Absolutely. Um, you're just eminently approachable when you're on your own and you're, I think, far less so as yeah. you add bodies to your travel party. I like the interactions that generally result from traveling on my own. I absolutely
0: mm-hmm. agree. I feel like when I'm traveling with somebody else, I'll tend to follow a bit more. My eyes aren't quite as wide open. Yeah. Yeah. You know? The reason why I travel is for the cultural exchange, really. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to just be my experience, not my experience with this other person in this location. And depending if the other person is having a good time, that will also mean whether I'm having a good time. And I want to form my own opinions of myself in that place. Do you have any tips for solo women, though? Safety tips? Or have you had any experiences that would warrant some lessons learned you'd like to pass along?
1: (laughs) You know all of the usual sort of common sense warnings. Mm -hmm. The only place I have felt uncomfortable on my own, specifically as a woman, was in Istanbul. Beautiful city that I loved. I actually was traveling there with a guy friend, and when he was with me, I was having a wonderful time. The second he would go back to the hotel room, and leave me on my own, things mm. would go really drastically awry in ways I hadn't experienced anywhere in the world. You know, and I'd traveled a lot on my own yeah. through Latin America, Asia, all over the place. Yeah. And I felt guilty somehow because I knew I was supposed to love this place so much. It's one of those places everybody loves. Yeah. I felt this kind of traveler's guilt in failing to love Istanbul quite mm-hmm. as much as I should just because I had a really hard time there with guys when my friend would go back to the room before I would. Elsewhere in Turkey even it wasn't. We went to a few little coastal towns after that. Nothing happened. I was fine on my own. Interesting. It was really, it was just there. But other than that, I've never really felt weird about being on my own mm-hmm. as a woman. Yeah, there are some locations that are notoriously difficult. I Like Cairo for instance mm-hmm. I
0: heard is quite a challenge mm-hmm. and so that would be a place where I will definitely go someday but yeah. I think I might take a buddy with me just yeah. because you know it can get really exasperating it's not that I can't handle myself but I do want to enjoy myself as well yeah <laughs> if I'm flying all that way I do want to actually see the sights instead of mm. always having to watch myself right.
1: have you read Colleen Kinder's essay yes yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. That's- to me, just one of the best pieces of writing about that experience. Being so exasperated yeah. by the groping and that she goes undercover, as it were. Yeah. And still gets groped in the end. Yeah, and, it doesn't uh, matter. Just do the
0: fact that they know that underneath the burqa, there's still a woman. There's still a woman. Doesn't yeah. matter at all what she looks like. I found it really fascinating. I actually heard her read that at uh, Restless Legs as well. Me too, do. Oh, you did. did? You were there? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Interesting. So yeah, again, I mean, nothing has happened to me traveling solo, but some things will just get a little frustrating.
1: Yeah. Yeah. As long as it remains simply a frustration. That's it. Small price to pay. Exactly. What instilled this travel bug in you? I think I was born into it. My parents always traveled and I am the child of immigrants on both sides. On my dad's side, my family moved from Eastern Europe to Cuba in the early 1900s, huh. then stayed there for a generation. The older members of my generation were born there and then they all left during the revolution. And came to the U.S. or went to Israel, a couple went to South America. Uh, on my mom's side, my grandfather was Russian, my grandmother was Romanian, huh. so I just descend from wanderers. I yeah. Think. My parents lived in Central America. When they were first married, they left when my mom was pregnant with me, and, huh. and I think while I was incubating, there yeah. was a lot of wandering going around <laughs> yeah. in Central America, and it's just what I'm comfortable with and what yeah. I grew up doing. We were Always traveling as a family when I was growing up, and still do. I mean, I still really? travel with my family and with my parents. Yeah, we all do. My sister and dad actually just came back from a trip together to Europe. Uh-huh. So I think we've made a point of continuing to travel together in different configurations well yeah. into our adulthood. And it's nice. Have I you met been... family abroad? Yeah, I, I went to my cousin's wedding so there's a Uruguayan branch of our family and part of the Uruguayan branch lives in Tel Aviv now and so I went to a Uruguayan Tel Aviv Ethiopian wedding actually because that cousin married an an Ethiopian woman that's lovely it is lovely yeah
0: so when did you start traveling of your own volition
1: When I was working at Glamour magazine really early in my career, back when magazines still had appreciable staffs, we actually had a travel department. I was in the beauty department at the time. I could not help but notice that the travel editors were always gone and always doing something that seemed infinitely more fun than what I was doing. And so I sort of made a mental note that I was going to try and replicate what the travel editors were doing. It took me a while because I had already sort of followed the path of being a beauty editor Mm -hmm. and it's what people knew me for. And I wasn't quite sure how to segue from that into travel. And in the end, I do both. Yeah, that's what's so great is you're Mm -hmm. currently the beauty and travel
0: editor at Every Day with Rachel Ray. Yeah. That's wonderful. Thank you. Now, let's say that somebody does want to get into the travel writing world. What would you suggest? Because it is
1: so competitive now. It is. But I would suggest self-publishing online Mm -hmm. because you no longer have the barrier that you used to a decade or so ago when all there was was print publishing and Mm -hmm. so you had to rely on an editor's acceptance, Yeah. whereas now you can self-publish online and self-promote and hope and trust that people will discover good writing. Yeah. Before I went back on staff, I filled in a lot as an editor at various magazines. Mm-hmm. That's how I made life work when I was a freelancer. I would travel for a while and then fill in for an editor who was on maternity leave, and I mm-hmm. did that for years. One of the places was actively looking for great but unknown writers. online and made a point of bringing those voices into the magazine and that was already a couple of years ago and I've noticed that more and more magazines are doing that. Uh If you're a writer who's discovered by an editor who has a good eye, you're almost a trophy and editors like those trophies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They like discovering the writer who was toiling in anonymity and obscurity somewhere and so I just I think you're easier to find now as a writer who publishes online than you were a few years ago when you simply had to send stories into some faceless editor and, and hope you get any could response it. whatsoever yeah, yeah exactly
0: yeah it's it's a wild new world out there yeah so that's exciting yeah yeah well I hope that there's a submission to two thousand fourteen's best women's travel writing because I really do enjoy your stories. Thank in you so this much.
1: Lovely series. Thank <laughs> you. It's incredibly kind of you to say and Lavinia Yeah. The editor she's just one of the biggest joys of an editor who could possibly exist. She's one of the best editors I've ever worked with. Oh, wow. Yeah, she manages to draw out the best in everyone. The fact that she's the editor, I think, serves as extra motivation. Right. (laughs) Bonus points. Yeah. So are you ready
0: for your Traveler's 10 questions? Sure. (laughs) What travel book makes you want to
1: pack your bags and hop on a plane? So many. One of my favorite books of all time, not just travel books, is this book by a guy named Mark Jacobson called 12,000 Miles in the Nick of Time. Huh. And I think the subtitle is A Semi-Dysfunctional Family Circumnavigates the Globe. Interesting. And yeah, it's, it's such a great book. Friends are sick of hearing me talk about it because that's how much I've loved it for a decade and I always recommend it to people. He's a sort of a typical New York writer living with his family I think first in the East Village and then I believe in Park Slope and he and his wife find that their kids are just becoming too pop culturally complacent. So there's this decision to drag the family around the world for a summer when the last thing on earth the kids want to be doing is dragging (laughs) around the earth with their parents yeah it's just it's great storytelling it's a great conceit I love that they did this as a family and he's he's a really evocative and funny writer and there was no place that the parents took the kids to but I didn't then want to go. Mm-hmm. Even, I mean, even places I had been to, I wanted to go back to, having read his descriptions yeah. of these places. Yeah. And I actually did wind up, I don't, maybe it's not coincidence, I wound up doing around-the-world assignment. I think the same year that that book came out. Maybe I was inspired and didn't even realize it. <laughs> but yeah, I did my own little circumnavigation in a completely different way. It was sort of an ecotourism around the world really? assignment. Yeah. Tell me about that. It was a ridiculously good assignment for a magazine that unfortunately no longer exists. Yeah. When the magazine folded, I think it was called Whole Living, but at the time mm-hmm. that I wrote the piece, it was Body and Soul. Yeah. It was a Martha Stewart publication. Uh-huh. That um, was a great magazine. It was. It, I, I, <laughs> I don't understand. I, understand. <laughs> I spent three months mm. traveling around the world looking for really fabulous ecotourism offerings. It was easily one of the best summers of my life
0: so this is this explains a lot then because when you first met me and I told you I did my around the world volunteerism trip and you know a lot of times when people say oh where did you go and then halfway through my spiel of where I went their eyes glaze over and you kept saying oh no what did you do there and where did you go and then what did you do and it was so wonderful and
1: now I understand why yeah no I have a, a bottomless appetite for this stuff, as, yeah. as much for other people's stories yeah. as my own. I mean, I'm tired of my own stories, but I love <laughs> hearing other people's stories and reading other people's stories. And... That's neat. But what destination do you consider a best-kept secret that you're willing to tell us? <laughs> I think Haiti. Mm. It's not a... Se- I mean, it's hiding in plain sight and everybody hears and reads about Haiti. I had read quite a bit, I'd heard quite a bit about it, and didn't feel like I was going in especially ignorant of the place. And and as it turns out, I was going in entirely ignorant. I had this idea that Haiti was deforested to within an inch of its life, Mm -hmm. and that the tree line sort of stopped at the Dominican border, and that the place was basically just bereft. As one local tourism guy put it, a nuanced place, and it's certainly not for every traveler, it has so much more life. And so much more rainforest than I imagined. Yeah,
0: I I don't imagine that either. That's really interesting.
1: I mean, you hear stories of people Mm -hmm. eating and selling mud pies, and and unfortunately those are true stories, but you don't imagine that at the same time there are just endless tracts of banana plantations and every kind of tropical fruit growing there and yeah just huge swaths of jungle and, and there was just so much beauty still there i was embarrassed at how surprised i was by that it's not what people tend to report on uh, that's right here and god knows there's copious misery there it's not that there isn't yeah but i think there's more balance than people realize there were so many musical performances going mm-hmm. on streets were lined with posters for all kinds of concerts the beaches are gorgeous it's not it's nobody's paradise don't get me wrong right but it's a really interesting place to travel yeah oh um, I like that what
0: sight should be seen at least once in a lifetime and
1: why I covered Peru really regularly for several years and consequently, got to see Machu Picchu more times than any person should get to see yeah, yeah. in one lifetime. <laughs> and every time I went, I was taken aback all over again by how yeah. beautiful that place is. Even when it's overrun with tourists, as it unfortunately is by is. a given hour every day, Yeah, it's still just a remarkable place. I think it's one of those places that is on everyone's list for a very good reason. That's right. It's yeah. in my top three favorite. Locations, yeah. yeah, absolutely.
0: What are your other two? I love Mesa Verde in Colorado. It's the Anasazi ruins, uh-huh. cliff dwellings. But all of my family is from the Southwest, or I'm from California, but my extended family is from the Southwest. And mm-hmm. so I really love the Native American culture. And so when I first saw it when I was a little kid... I didn't quite understand about the Anasazi people, you know, the ancient ones they call them. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that the Tooth Fairy lived there. I was positive (laughs) of it. I absolutely told everybody. Why not? Why not? It made perfect sense. It made perfect sense to me anyway. (laughs) So that's one of them. And I'd say Petra. Yeah. Yeah. Good one. Yeah. So those are the three. Machu Picchu, Petra, Mesa Verde. Good list. Yeah. Thanks. What and where was the most memorable meal you've had while traveling?
1: The first time I went to India, I should say I'm a vegetarian, so I am too. India as a whole, you, you know, mm-hmm. it's just it's vegetarian heaven. Yeah. The first time I went was to Kerala on the spice route, and so for a vegetarian who loves spicy food, yeah Kerala is double heaven. Mm-hmm. And I think from the very first meal, I just didn't stop eating until yeah. I left. I know I have never gotten fatter faster in my life. I'm sure that I went up a clothing size at that first meal alone, and I absolutely didn't care. it yeah, was, it was I, worth it. I was the most happily fat I think I've ever been. <laughs> well, you know, vegetarian food can often be an afterthought. That's right. But when you're in a part of the world where it is sort of the main idea, yeah. and then when you are staying the spice root and everything is just so fresh and tangy and savory and ah, oh, amazing <laughs> i'm gonna start drooling right now <laughs> it's just a very special experience so yeah. i couldn't even tell you what the dishes were yeah i just remember everything. going into almost a trance uh-huh. and every time the server would offer he called it another help. Uh-huh. And, you know, he said, Would you like another help? And I said, Absolutely. There's only one answer to Would you yes. like another help? <laughs> yes. And so I had many, many helps. Ending with Payasam. It's, I don't know if you've had oh, no, that. I haven't had that. It's a Kerala specialty dessert. It's sort of brown, gelatinous. It, there's nothing appealing about it aesthetically, but it tastes so good. It's uh-huh. just, it's really rich and sort of, I don't know, maybe. Flan is the closest cognate. Oh, so yeah. I love flan. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I love custards. Yeah.
1: So it's sort of in the flan family with Indian flair. <laughs> you know, I think <laughs> like I would like that. It's really, really good. It's so yeah.
0: interesting. I didn't know that you're vegetarian, and I've never really cared for food because it's always been a difficulty for me. hmm You know? So I think... You've just described my next trip. (laughs) I have a five-year visa to India, so I I need to go back. Yeah, go to Canada. What was your most nerve-wracking
1: experience on the road, and how could other travelers avoid it? I was detained in Venezuela. I was trying to get back to the U.S., and I was, in fact, traveling with the same friend. It's funny. Having declared myself a great solo traveler, I realized so many of my stories... (laughs) Are with particular friends the same friend who was in India with me and Haiti with me was in Venezuela with me and we were flying back to the States and she went through immigration no problem and it was a really strained time in I mean I guess for a while now relations between the US and Venezuela had been pretty strained but mm-hmm. this was the particularly strained moment for whatever reason the guy who was processing me didn't believe that I was American. He thought I was Venezuelan trying to travel on a falsified US passport and he basically just wanted me to admit to him that I was Venezuelan. Hmm. It was a very strange thing but clearly I couldn't claim to be Venezuelan because I'm not. Right. And so I was put in a room by myself with a couple of immigration officers. I grew up in a Spanish-speaking home. Yeah. This was one of the times, probably the only time, I was at a distinct disadvantage. That's right, because your accent was too good? Yeah, I mean, it's close enough to yeah. a Venezuelan accent yeah. that nobody believed me. I eventually made it out of there, but it was probably the most scared I have ever been wow. um, because they weren't letting me... I hope my parents aren't listening to this. know you're not... really in trouble. You're yeah, really not really in trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was not allowed a call... To mm-hmm. any US diplomatic entity well to anyone for that yeah. matter and, and f- I think finally they just gave up on me how long but did that take It was probably an hour and a half I want to yeah. say but I felt like time slowed <laughs> it yeah. was just you know it, it's pretty scary and my friend didn't know if she should leave me or not I mean they wouldn't let her in the room with me anyway and I told her to go on you yeah. know, to the flight and I had no idea whether I would make my flight or not. Wow. I, I did in the end, but just barely. And clearly there's nothing you can do to avoid. Right. <laughs> Um But I guess the lesson is even when things look pretty dire and you are petrified, Chances are you'll be just fine in helped. the end. Yeah. 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 I don't know what harm would actually have come to me there. Probably nothing. Um, well, I
0: completely understand. I accidentally smuggled a knife across the border from Jordan yeah. to Israel. Oh, no. Yeah. And, well, the thing is, is oh. that I thought that I was through all the checkpoints, uh-huh. and it was nighttime,
1: yeah.
0: and I wanted to have the knife on me because I was then going to take a cab to my hostel which was a half hour through the mountains. So I took the knife out of my checked bag and put it in my purse and then I saw there was another checkpoint and at that point of course guards with AK-47s or whatnot were watching me and so I couldn't take the knife back off me and put it into my bag because they would see that and and so I just thought that I would casually when I go up to the window just check it to them. Right. No, they didn't care, of course. (laughs) Right. And then it was a whole fiasco and then they saw all my cameras and my laptop and everything and they... Accused me of being a journalist, and I'm like, no, 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 of course not. Like, why would I ever dream of being that? No, but yeah. So there's a a written statement from me in Israel. There's fingerprints, and yeah, I think they took photos as well. I can't remember all of that. I was
1: I was printed and photographed in the Caracas airport. Yeah, yeah, and had to give a statement and all of that. Yes. So for me, I actually could have avoided. (laughs)
0: what happened to me but for you no but you know nothing happened it's just a little scary in the moment yeah so but we're here we're here to tell the tales so yeah exactly we share a lot of similarities apparently
1: yeah (laughs) what passport stamp still eludes you so so many yeah and you know the more places you go the more places you want to go absolutely the list only ever gets longer yeah I have never been to Sri Lanka and mm. I really want to go there. Palau and Yap, I would like to go. Palau and uh, where? Yap. Where is Yap? Right by Palau. Really? <laughs> They're neighbors. I didn't know this. Yeah. Uh, There's supposed to be beautiful diving there and uh, I don't know, it just looks like a really beautiful place. And I like the names Palau and Yap, of course. And so uh, <laughs> that's really fun. Yeah. <laughs> Where else? So you know, I've never been to Greece. I feel like no oh, I need to go self-respecting to... travel writer should ever admit that. I but know. I've not been to Greece,
0: especially when I have a dear friend who's Greek. It's, it's coming <laughs> soon. Good. <laughs> Good. What is your most cherished souvenir and why?
1: Mostly, I buy keys for my nieces and my nephews and my godchildren and my friends' kids. I'm not a big collector of souvenirs for myself. Mm-hmm. I had a, a pair of earrings made in Nepal that wound up becoming a part of me. I, I didn't realize as they were being made and put in for me that I wouldn't be able to take them out uh, without special tools and knowledge. So... so <laughs> I'm looking at your ears sorry, right now. I, finally, <laughs> after, I, I had them in for a few years, wow. and it was a big deal when I finally removed them yeah. because they had become a part of me. Yeah. And really what I loved most about them was that they had given me this kind of unexpected excuse to hang out with the jeweler's family for the day. There are earrings that I didn't realize are made to order. So many women, not just in Nepal, but all over the Himalayas, wear this particular style of earring Mm -hmm. and I had noticed them and coveted them before and I have a bit of a problem with sort of Indian and Nepali gold in general I really really like it yeah a bit of a weakness for it (laughs) so I had had noticed the earrings before and then I, I went to Nepal and saw them again on all of the women in all of the villages and decided that I had to have a pair and didn't realize that you didn't just go to the earring store and buy them you have to buy the gold you have to have them specially made and so i wound up spending an entire day with this jeweler and his family Mm -hmm. hung out with them for hours and watched him make these earrings by hand with really ancient tools and it's just something you don't see every day so i think because of everything that surrounded the experience of getting the earrings, those are my favorite. And because they were a part of me mm-hmm. for so long. What I didn't realize is instead of a normal clasp that you can undo at will, uh-huh. they, they get a touch to your ears with pliers, with jewelry wow. pliers. <laughs> yeah. And so. <laughs> That'd be a yeah. shock. It was. It was. I mean, I, I asked a bit too late in the process, as the guy was pliering the earrings into my ears, sort of how, how it was I was going to get the earrings out. And he said, oh, your mommy or your aunties can take them out for you. That's
0: <laughs> because so that's cute. how it's
1: done there. Yeah. Your mommy or your auntie gets her gold pliers out. So, yeah, for years I had these earrings in.
0: Uh, what's the most interesting customer tradition you discovered abroad, and did you bring it back home?
1: I brought it to your recording studio, actually. I will play it for you. Awesome. I don't know if this will work, but have you heard the Filipino Happy Birthday song? No. Well, it's actually a trilogy of Happy Birthday songs, and it always occurs as a trilogy, in my experience. I discovered it, not in the Philippines, but weirdly in Antarctica. I was on huh. a ship, and there are a lot of Filipino crew working the world's cruise lines. Yeah. And on a long cruise, they're bound to be some birthdays and so i discovered the filipino happy birthday song on an antarctic cruise and i fell in love with it and will now play it for people on their birthdays sometimes i just play it for myself For no reason because I think it's the happiest song in the world. (laughs) A friend of mine, he's a really good friend for doing this, he is a seabird biologist who works on these expedition cruise lines. I've never been on a sort of a normal cruise. I've been only on expedition cruises Mm -hmm. and he, knowing how much I love the Filipino happy birthday song, recorded it for me. That's adorable. So I have it to play for other people on their birthdays, and I can play it for you. I am so excited. I hope it works. Let's see. I mean he just recorded it in the dining room of the ship. Uh, it was National Geographic Lindblad National Geographic Endeavor, I believe. Some this combination is the coolest of coolest those... story ever. Well, let's see. <laughs> let's see if it works. And it's not the full trilogy. It's sort of parts 2 and 3, I want to say. Let's okay. see if this works. <laughs> We're working up to the great part still. This is still the prelude. Uh Uh-huh. I swear it gets
0: good.
1: (laughs) You can edit this. I love it. But it's this whole elaborate ritual. It sounds like they're having a party. Yeah. They're having a blast at this. Okay, now here comes just my favorite thing in the world. That is adorable. Thanks. So yeah, I've, i that's my thing that I picked up. And I feel like I will never be happy with the standard happy birthday from now on. Yeah. It's,
0: it's a pretty good one, right? It's a really good one.
1: Yeah. There's no way not to be happy when you hear that song. That's cool. I have found. That is cool. <laughs> What's your biggest piece
0: of advice for aspiring travelers?
1: Don't wait for a friend to be able to go with mm-hmm. you or your spouse or if there's a trip you really want to do and nobody can go with you, you will likely have as much fun, if not more fun, going on your own. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) High five. (laughs) All right. (laughs) And what's the most profound lesson you've learned around the world? I know everybody says it, but the kindness of strangers, the experience of it never... Gets old, yeah. And it's always heartening. And I think beyond that, you know, I've heard all sorts of variations on the idea that five minutes out in the world is worth five years in the classroom. Yeah, I think that's so true. However much you think you may know, Mm -hmm. Haiti for me was the perfect example. Actually, you you learn so much more out in the world than you do even when you think that you're reading a fair number of newspapers and right. keeping up on pretty reliable sources. There's just no substitute for getting out in the world and seeing and experiencing things for yourself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's an
0: education. I'm completely a different person after my round the world. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. I love that. And if you went around again, you'd be another person again. Exactly. Maybe I could just keep going around and yeah. around around. <laughs> And just evolving and evolving. Yeah. yeah. Well,
0: thank you so much. It's really so lovely much.
1: to hear your stories.
0: Likewise. <laughs> thank you. A lot of fun. If Abby has inspired you by her beautiful stories from the road and you'd like a shot at getting published in the best travel writing or the best women's travel writing series, then check out the submission guidelines at travelerstells.com forward slash guidelines. And also keep an eye out for the 2014 volumes in April and May on Amazon. You can also follow Abby's adventures at AbbyKazolchik.com and on Twitter at abbykazolchick. And until next time, get out there and set the world on fire.